0: Welcome to Bethany Bible Fellowship, where we are all about the glory of God and the good of his people. It is a privilege to be able to share this online resource with you, and we pray that it is a blessing to you, that it builds up your faith and encourages you on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. I am Tim Jacobs, not Pastor Jared, so um, if you're disappointed, come back next Sunday. That's the teaser. Because you ain't heard anything yet. Um, If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 20. And I am, again, I'm fired up to be with you today. I have my wife, Judy, here with me today. And yes, She deserves a huge applause. Um, It's always fun to be able to travel, for us to be able to travel together. I'm with the Evangelical Free Church of America, for those of you who don't know, and your church is in the process of considering becoming a part of our larger family, so we're working through all of that. I live in We live in the Phoenix, Arizona area, but are originally from Southern California, and um, so kind of, I'm a Talbot grad from uh, Talbot Seminary, and so um, this is kind of a little bit of our old stomping ground, so it's fun to come out here and be with you all, and I will tell you as you're turning there in Acts chapter 20, if you had seen the site, it would have surprised you, because these days We don't really weep over the loss of our leaders, you know. We don't have a very good impression these days of those who are in authority over us. In fact, most of us, as soon as we get the chance, we like to vote most of these people out, right? We don't like our leaders. We're skeptical of our leaders. We're cautious about leadership. And so if you were to see a group of men weeping, And hugging and kissing and mourning the loss of their leader, you would find it kind of strange. But there at the edge of the Mediterranean Sea in a harbor about to board a ship, the Apostle Paul is there With a group of men with whom he has poured his life into. And what especially stung them was the fact that he told them that he would never see their faces again. This would be it. This would be the last time. He couldn't post anything on social media. He wasn't going to be able to FaceTime them from Jerusalem. This was it. They were going to part and he would see them no more. And they were broken up by this. Because he had been their leader and he had unlocked for them the greatest news that they had ever heard in their life. Because in his message that he told them of the gospel... There is forgiveness, there is grace, there is compassion, there is mercy. They found the juice to be able to put their marriages back together to somehow live with compassion and care for their neighbors. They had something to live for and if need be something to die for and that energized them. It focused them. They went from death to life. They had been told the news of Jesus Christ who had stood in their place and all of their guilt and all of their shame and all of the things that they knew were not right died with Jesus on that cross and they were raised to new life so even if they were to be martyred or die in a fire or a drowning or a plague or whatever would happen to them that their eternity was secure that they would live forever with God and because they had made peace with God he had made peace with them and the apostle Paul was the one who gave them this message and they loved him for it and not only that He was just a wild and crazy guy. I mean, you know, you know because you just heard, if you've been around for a few weeks, that, you know, it was in the city of Ephesus, and these are the elders of the Ephesian church that are there with Paul, that the message of christianity spread so fast and had such a massive change in the community that the people stopped buying the statue of artemis and that made the people who make the statues of artemis very mad cuz now they can't buy you know new clothes for the, their kids for school and You know, not that they had Christmas back then, but whatever. They can't afford stuff anymore, so they're mad. So they start a riot in the city of Ephesus. And this is all because of Christianity. And 25,000 people go into the arena, and it's this riotous, crazy, wild thing. And Paul is ready to go in and take all 25,000 of them on his own. He's like, let me at him. And they had to hold him back. Like, no, you can't go in there. They're going to kill you. He's like, I don't care. He wants to go in there and tell them about Jesus. This guy's unstoppable. You know, when you're around a leader that just breathes life into you, who's genuine, who's real, who's willing to go the distance with you, there's nothing like it. And so if you can imagine for a minute why they were so upset, this is why they were losing their Leader, the one that they had been with them all this time. But you know, the vision of the gospel was bigger than the city of Ephesus and the surrounding area of Asia Minor. Paul had other places he had to go. He wasn't done. He had a sense of urgency about him. And so he says this to them in verse 25. He says, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So why were they so sad? Because when it comes to ministry, especially in the church, godly leadership changes everything. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. When done right, godly leadership, not the type of leadership that is so often modeled in the culture that we see on the news, that we hear about all the time. But godly leadership, when done right, brings peace, unity, meaning, and clarity, and joy into people's lives. If there was ever a time that we need to recover and legitimize godly leadership, it's now. Because I don't know about you, but it just seems like every week I hear a story about another church leader who gets caught up in some scandal or is accused of abusing their power, acting inappropriately, taking advantage of the person he's supposed to be serving. And it's one thing, you know, we're almost used to it in the in the lives of our political leaders or our business leaders. You know, you just, there was a there was a big celebrity yesterday, if you saw the news, some huge allegations against this guy of all kinds of terrible things. So we're kind of used to that. But it cuts especially deep in the church because we're like, wait a second, you're supposed to be the one to embody the very things that you're telling us to live out. And so the credibility of the greatest message of the world in the gospel hinges on all of us who claim to be Christians, but especially on those that the church affirms to lead it right? So what does godly leadership look like? Like, How do we know? How can we spot it? And what I, the reason I think it's important, because in Paul's farewell speech, you know, all these guys are like, please don't go. We love you. We need you. Like, don't leave us. He gives him a little farewell speech, and in that speech, I believe, I, I, I've identified five aspects of of what we'll call not just godly leadership but specifically to narrow it down godly church leadership what can we look for and so as we read this I I want to I want you to think about one of two responses that you can have as we go through this sermon I want you to pay attention to this because I think there's one of two ways to respond to this um either as we read these qualities of godly church leadership some of you are going to need to be moved to aspire to this say there's going to be something in your heart whether you are a leader there may be some of you who are leaders right now obviously whether you're a staff person or an elder or, you know obviously Jared being the lead pastor in here um or you have some other type of ministry leadership. But there's others of you in here who God may be tapping on the shoulder and say, your time's coming. And you grew up here. And you've been on the bench. And you've been waiting in the wings. And so this sermon may be just the thing that to, to say, I need to step up and aspire to these kinds of things if I'm going to be a leader in God's church. But not everybody is necessarily called to be a leader. Some people... Are, you know, and, and sometimes I think we get that wrong because we're like, well, everyone's gotta be a leader. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, we all have roles to play where we but not everyone's gonna necessarily have be someone that everybody looks to. So for other people, your role is not necessarily to aspire as much to these things as to affirm them, to, to recognize them, and when you see them, to support leaders who act this way to pray for leaders who act this way to follow leaders who act this way so these are the two distinctions i want to make and and obviously i mean in all in the church we have all different types because we we could have women's uh, ministry leadership men's ministry leadership we have small groups we have all different kinds of things anybody who someone else is looking to to be more like jesus really in some way or another is a leader or at least a disciple or a mentor of some kind, but there are specific, you know, roles and designations that that are leadership oriented and so I think as we look at these things we're going to see Paul affirming or describing these are the kinds of things that I tried to model for you and now I'm telling you you need to model for other people and he's talking specifically to the Ephesian elders but I think it applies in one of two ways again qualities we should aspire to and qualities we should affirm so what does a godly church leader do? I have five things. First of all, I think a godly church leader courageously preaches the gospel. That's what the first thing that, 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 that uh, godly church leaders do. Why would I say that? Well, let's, we're going to follow this passage and we're going to see what it says. Let's look at verse 26. He says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I want you to focus on that phrase, whole counsel of God, because there's a difference between the gospel and religion. Okay, And it's always funny because I've been a Christian for a long time. When people find out I work in ministry, they say, oh, you're a religious person. And I, and I take that, I guess, but I go, well, I don't know. I mean, I brush my teeth religiously, I guess. Or, you know, I, 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 uh, I try to hang out with my, my kids and my wife religiously. But I, the, the religion seems stale and dry to me. That's not what I'm about. I'm not about following a list of rules and regulations. I'm about the gospel message. And when we see that idea of the whole counsel of God, we're not just... Just talking about following a bunch of traditions and rules because that's what we've always done. No, we see our very core message as being a part of all of the revealed plan of God from the very beginning. As When we look at Genesis chapter, the first three chapters of Genesis, the creation of man, the fall, why are we in the predicament that we're in? The covenant of God to restore to someday, to be with his people, even though his people turn away from him, and all of the history of Israel, and the going back, and they ran away, and they come back, and they run away, and they come back, but God is faithful, culminating to the Messiah, Jesus, who gives his life for the sins of of men and women, right? And then here we are, and we have this beautiful future, but this whole counsel of God, and Paul says, look, I didn't shrink back from giving you all of this, and so I'm innocent of the blood of every man. What does he mean by that? Well, one, as I was studying for this, one commentator that I read said that he is, uh, he made the point that he's probably referencing Ezekiel chapter 33, where um, where God says, basically, and I'll paraphrase, he says, if I bring a sword of judgment, i on the land and the people appoint a watchman and the watchman sees the sword coming and blows a trumpet, but the people don't pay attention to it and they get killed, that's not the watchman's fault because he warned them. But if they appoint a watchman and I bring a sword and the watchman doesn't blow the trumpet and doesn't warn the people and the people get killed, it is on the watchman. It's the watchman's fault. The blood of those people is on that watchman's hands. And and what Paul is saying is, look, I was with you and I told you everything that you need to know to make sure that you escape the judgment of God. And if you choose not to believe it, it's not on me. Now I think about that because what godly Christian leaders are supposed to do is to make sure that the church is able to hear the whole counsel of God. One of the things I love is the fact that I was here back in April, if you remember me. Um, and, and I was really crazy because I'm preaching on Acts chapter 20 today. I think I preached on Acts chapter 11 last time I was here. And I was like, wow. When, when I was asked to preach, I'm like, you guys are going through. You're walking through the revealed word of God each week. And you're going to get the whole picture, the whole story as you are here because I know what's important to your pastor because he stands before God as someone to say, this flock of people, did I give them what they needed to know? And so a godly Christian leader isn't just going to be about maintaining good order and discipline in the church. is isn't going to be about just keeping things away. No, it is about the liberating message of the gospel and making sure not only the church, but everybody around knows it. I mean, when Paul showed up to Ephesus, you know, it wasn't just like there was this wonderful church just sitting there. He just needed to attend. There was a mission he was after. And so godly Christian leaders first and foremost courageously proclaim the gospel and take risks doing it. Take risks with, you know, with how we're going to try to do it in a way that the people can understand. And so, I'll never forget, by the way, if you remember the the comedy duo Penn and Teller. Remember those guys? And, And Penn of Penn and Teller. He's a very, very much an avowed atheist. And I remember we showed this video in our church when I was pastoring one time. But he made a video, and it was probably like 10 years ago, where he was talking to other fellow atheists and he says, "You know, you guys that are always giving Christians a hard time about proselytizing. He says, "Why do you give them such a hard time? They really believe that we're going to hell. They really believe that we're going to suffer judgment." And he said, "You know, if I was if if I was in a car and I was headed for a cliff and 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 someone and you were standing there and you saw the cliff and I didn't see the cliff, how much would you have to hate me not to tell me like slow down, turn around, stop, there's a cliff, you're gonna die. Guess how much do you have to hate a person? Not to tell them. And I always thought that was interesting because here's a person who thinks Christianity's nuts, but who has the mental capacity to go, but I can understand why people that really believe that there is a judgment of God, that you will pay for the things that you've done wrong, which is kind of scary, but very comforting to those people who have had wrong done to them, And it hasn't been absolved. It hasn't been corrected. No one one knows. Well, God knows. And the wrong things done on this planet that you're upset about, those things will be rectified one way or the other in eternity. You can count on that. People that actually believe that message, why would they not tell the world if you actually believed it? And so Paul's saying, look, your blood's not on my hands. I gave you the truth. And so this church needs to Always be a church where the lead, where the leadership is supported by people who say, "Please, please, please, do everything you can to teach the whole counsel of God." In other words, not just about ethical, nice little ways that we can. Because there's a lot of churches just want to teach you how to be a good person. No, 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 no. That's fine. We got to talk about the message that sets people free. We got to be about the thing that's changed the world. as, as said earlier in the book. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing, and this kind of goes along with it, but the second thing that godly church leadership does uh, is assumes leadership for the flock. Assu- or, I'm sorry, assumes responsibility for the flock. leadership, no, Responsibility. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I love this part. Because here specifically he's talking to the elders, the overseers. The word elder is the word presbyteros in the original language. Before we get presbytery from, it's like overseer, right? And so the command is that leaders are to pay attention to themselves, their own spiritual condition first. And can I tell you something? If, if, if a healthy, godly leader, it never gets old watching your own life. And you know, I'll tell you, for me, like, yeah, I'm this, you know, I work with a denomination, and I've been in ministry for a minute, you know, like a, a long time. And, and so, um, but you know what? In my life, every day, and I'm not saying I do it every day, I'll be honest with you, but the goal is every day I need to have time with God. And I have, for, since 2009, I could show you, I've had a little journal that I type in my, um, on my little computer. I've had to put it on new computers as they've gotten old, but it's my little document that I've typed in and I've said, okay, God, here's what's going on in my life because I got to watch my life closely. And I only say that to you because it's never something you get past. Like, oh yeah, I don't need to depend on the word of God. I don't need to depend on prayer. No, 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 no. I live every day with a little bit of sense of like, okay, dude, watch your life, all right? It's like I remember a long time ago, my mother and I, we hiked to the the top of Half Dome in Yosemite. It was really cool. Cool. And if you've ever done that, like, I remember at the time, and it's been a long time, so I don't know how they've, uh, if they've changed it, but at the time you could walk right up to the edge, right? Like this. And when I got up to the top, even though I was a bit of a thrill seeker, I stayed back from the edge. Because I'm thinking to myself, if I go to the edge, I have no margin. Right? So there, I could get the gust, gust of wind could come out of nowhere. I can get vertigo. Some crazy dude could push me off the thing. I'm not taking that chance. So I'm going to be over here, so if something bad happens, I have a little bit of margin. And so I'll tell you, in my life, um, just as, as, a, as a Christian leader in the church, I've, what's helped me get this far in my life has been building in margin to say, yeah, I could do that, but I'm not. And I'm not saying that I'm, I live this completely you know, rigid lifestyle, but I'm saying I, I try to look for the edge and then stay a few feet back because i got to pay attention to myself. And so the reason why is because you can you pay attention to yourself. The leadership is supposed to look out for the rest of the flock. And but why, but look what he says about it. He says to care, so you've been made overseers. The Holy Spirit's made you overseers of these people to care for the church of God, which you obtain with his blood. Now, when something is yours, you take care of it right? Like, we, we came in, we flew in, we got a rental car, and no one takes care of rental cars, right? They're always, like, in terrible condition, because right? it's not, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't belong to you. But when it belongs to you, you take care of it. But what do you take care of even more than something that belongs to you? You take care of something that belongs to somebody who is very important to you that has entrusted you to take care of it. So a few weeks ago, we were in Boise, Idaho, and we stayed with some friends. They bought a brand new, like, House in Boise, Idaho. It's beautiful. I mean, it's not a huge house, but it's brand. It's like HGTV quality. Like, I mean, this thing's immaculate, right? These friends of ours, they they're passionate about how much they take care of their house, and we stayed in their house. Now, I like to say that I do an okay job in my house, but like when I was in the bathroom there, like you know, getting ready in the morning, I was wiping the sinks down. I was wiping the shower down. I was making sure if I got a little toothpaste, you know, and. You know, I, like I was taking better care of their guest bathroom than I would take care of my own house, honestly, because it's, it's my house. Why? Because it was somebody that we care about and, and, and respect and it wasn't ours and we were, were like in their space. Now think about this for a minute. God's house, the church is God's house, right? God's assembly of people. So what's the furniture in God's house? The people, right? That's the people. And, and the charge is, to take care of God's people because they were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no more important possession in all of the world to God than the people of whom he's redeemed. If he wants to like, restart the whole universe again, he could do that. If he wants to make a new star, if he wants to get rid of a star, take out a galaxy, take out a you know, planet, that's like no big deal. He could just speak and do it. But in order to to redeem people, he had to become one of us and be crucified in our place. I can't think of a higher price to pay. And so the people that are part of his redeemed flock are his greatest possession. And, And Christian leaders better be very careful about how they treat the furniture, the possessions of God's house. And that should convict all of us when we think about how we treat one another in the church. Because, you know, we're together for a long time. And we start to, we, we're, we're family, right? And we start to treat each other like families treat each other. <laughs> right? I oh, don't know. Here comes Uncle Bob for Thanksgiving, right? How long is he gonna stay? And I get it, but we gotta be very careful about undervaluing the people here. You guys are going to be with each other and you'll be with each other for all of eternity but the only reason you're here is because you share a common redemption and each person sitting among you is holy. And C.S. Lewis talked about that too. He said you got to be very careful. You never talk to a mere mortal. He said you need to be talking to a figure who someday will be so hideous you know or someday so so glorified that you'd be tempted to fall down and worship that person. Someday you you are talking to a person that will live in a glorified state for all of eternity. There's no mere mortals in our world. And so, so it's a lesson and a reminder and a charge to each one of us to treat each other with dignified respect and especially our leaders to be able to watch over the flock of God, as though you were in a house with prized possessions that God had given you, responsibility to take care of. Okay, so um, third. So so that gets first two things so far. This so Paul. I mean Paul's like, look, this is what happened. Third thing is a godly church leader remains alert against any and all threats. Now look what he says in verse twenty nine. So with the tears, there's passion, right? Like with, I mean, can you imagine with tears? Paul's like, you gotta do this. Don't do this. You gotta make sure you remember this. It's like a, it's like desperation because he knew he only had so much time with them. And he knows that once he leaves, as he says, there's going to be a vacuum. Now he's leaving them in good hands as best he can, but it wasn't perfect. You know, sometimes we think that early church was like they had it all figured out, (laughs) Just read the New Testament. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And it was a lot less put together than we might assume. It was very, because these are human beings and it wasn't, it wasn't all ironed out. So Paul's like, look, here you go, you guys. I was with you. I did the best I could. Don't mess this up. I gotta go. This is what's going on. And you know what's really sad? Is this prophecy came true. In fact, wolves did come into the church. Fierce wolves. And they came in from the right and they came in from the left. And I don't mean politically, but I mean theologically. There were those on the legalistic side and those on the liberal side. I mentioned this earlier in our little time together before the service, but, you know, we, we these extremes that we have are equally destructive in a lot of ways, and they end up kind of um, pushing each other. This is why you can have some, some strains of Christianity there that are very, very uh, legalistic in terms of what they, you know, you have to do this and have to do this have to do this, but yet the theology can be very liberal at the same time. It's weird. Because they kind of, they both play the same role in undermining the gospel. They both play the same role in drifting the church away from the core message of grace and forgiveness, but yet the exclusivity of that message. It's not just that, I mean, look, listen, grace is available and forgiveness is available to anyone and everyone but only through Jesus. So that's where the lines are drawn, right? But people are going to come in and they're going to go, well, not really. And they're going to say, yeah, but you still got to do this. You still got to get circumcised. You still got to follow the Jewish law. or, Nah, there's Jesus, but there's also these other kind of cool Roman gods too, right? I mean, this is just what goes on. And so we have this idea that, you know, we got to be very careful and keep that message and so when you read 1 and 2 Timothy, by the way, Timothy, when you read 1 Second 2 Timothy, the, the person of Timothy was put in charge of the Ephesian church. And so when Paul writes 1 and 2 Timothy, years later, guess what? This is one of the things he says. By rejecting... He's referring to faith and a good conscience in this this particular passage. By rejecting faith and a good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This was going on in the Ephesian church. After he left, he was right. Guys came in. He's like, I'm turning you over to Satan to be taught a lesson. You think that's bad, 1 Timothy? Guess what? Shows up in 2 Timothy but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them is our buddy, Hymenaeus. He's back. And a different guy, Philetus, who have swerved from the truth saying the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. They were in the church. And finally, which many of you may already have picked up on this, Some 30 years or so later, the church at Ephesus is in one of the churches, is referenced as one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Where Jesus is talking to the church directly and said, hey, there's some things that you've done well, but you know what? At your core, you've lost your first love. You've lost the thing that you were first passionate about. You've lost your why. You've lost the reason, the fire that gave you the impetus to go. But like the very reason these guys are Crying and hugging Paul. Like they just had that riot. You know, it's like when things were crazy and they were taking risks, and they were they weren't they were all about changing the world. And then some for some reason it became about preserving the past. It became more important. Well, we can't move this picture, and we can't paint this wall, and we can't do this, and we can't do this, and we have to do what this person says because they've been here forever and ever. And they lost the mission because they slowly drifted away from what the core message was was. And so sadly, Paul's prophecy came true. I don't know what to say about that. You know what I mean? I don't know how to rectify that because it's in Scripture, except that all I can say about it is that it's got to be a day-by-day day thing if, if we're going to avoid it. Because the power of the sociological, the power of, the, of human behavior is so strong that when generations emerge, we just, the, the, it starts to calcify, which is one of the reasons why it's so important to keep planting new churches. Because new churches don't have the history. And one of the, it's one of the great things, one of the things that gets people out of calcification is when they start a family. When you get married and when you're, if you're able to have kids and you have kids, it upsets your whole world and you freak out you say, we're not ready to have kids. And God says, that's why you're having kids. Because <laughs> you're not ready and I'm going to upset the apple cart because no one's ever ready to have a kid. You find out you're pregnant and you got nine months to figure it out. That's actually a pretty long gestation period compared to most other creatures, Right? Good thing it was not six weeks. That'd be weird. And then they grow. Then they grow like crazy. They grow. And it's like, we look at our kids and go, "Why? what's going on? How do they get so big and mature so quickly? And it's like, well, you feed and water them. That's what happens. I didn't do it. God did it. I'm not in there going, grow, grow, grow. I'm just making sure they don't die. But they upset your life. Because God likes it that way. Because we move towards calcification, we move towards basically it's got to be like this, and don't don't uh, don't mess up my way of doing things. Don't sit in my seat. Don't. It's like you, and then we attach Bible verses to it, and we call it godly. It's not. There's a lot of ungodliness going on in the name of Jesus. We're preserving things. No, you preserve the gospel. That's about it. Everything else doesn't matter, seriously. Where you meet, you meet in this building, does it really matter? No. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it. like, So this is the kind of thing that keeps churches fresh. So when a church decides, for example, to plant a church or do something crazy like that, everybody goes, oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's like having a baby. Well, we're going to have a baby. We're just going to have to get ready for it. And you know what? The church, like almost, unless they do it really, really badly and wrong, almost always benefits from it, both sides. So, anyway, by the way, um, oh yeah, this is one of the reasons why we want our, our, our pastors, when we talk about EFCA, because I'm a member of the Evangelical Free Church of America, the district uh, superintendent, one of the things we do is we ordain and license pastors. And it, what it does is it allows there to be a vetting process. So, when, so, for example, Jared, who's licensed with EFCA, which means he has been had to go before his peers, who have similar levels of education, and he's had to answer questions and be vetted to get a stamp of approval on him. Yes, we affirm him at this this level of licensure, which means we trust that he has the ability to teach truth and identify what is not true. That's one of the ways that we care for the church. That's one of the ways that we, that we stay alert. By the way, I should also say that the word alert in the original, I kind of like the original language, like sometimes the little things, you know, because you go, oh, I didn't know that, is uh, the word Gregorio. So if, you were, if your name is Gregory, good for you. <laughs> alert. You stay Alert. You're, you're watching. Now, you're not, it doesn't mean you're a heresy hunter. It doesn't mean you're like, oh, like, you know, there's a there's a limit to that, right? When you watch all those investigation discovery shows and you think there's like a murderer on every street corner, you know, don't get crazy with it. But there is an idea that we're supposed to just look out for things that, wait a second, that didn't seem right. That didn't pass the test. And that's one of the reasons why we have godly leaders who are capable and educated and in relationship, peer-reviewed, to make sure that things stay on the up and up. Fourth, a godly church leader builds, and this is similar, builds a solid foundation of truth. And so, verse 32 and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, I really like that. Again, remember what Paul's doing, he's handing them off. He's handing the congregation off to these leaders and he's even handing off the leaders to God and the gospel and who's going to build them up, right? The message is going to build them up over time. Now that word build up again, because I I like the original language, is the word oikos, which is not just a Greek yogurt that you can find at the store, because I see that a lot, but is also the word for house. He's building up like a house, so the idea, you know, Jesus even said, build your house on the rock. There's a foundation there of stability over time. So you have this inheritance. Now, I, I do think that's important. So it's like when you see a person who's healthy, like they look, they look healthy. And when they, you see a person that looks healthy, you go, this person probably just didn't get healthy like yesterday or they probably didn't get healthy because they eat bad six days out of the week and have one good day of eating healthy. They might have a few cheap meals, but it looks like this person overall in their life has a long history of making right choices and eating things that are healthy for their body, so they just kind of look like, you know, they look healthy. And so it's a similar thing when it comes to Christianity. I really believe this. I think it's important for us to understand. Because... Over time, as you come here, just like you don't, like a healthy person doesn't remember every last meal they ate, but all those little meals start to make a difference in the long haul, you're not gonna remember every sermon that you hear. But but the diet of the weekly engagement with the Word of God will have a long-term effect on your spirituality because it's going to affect the decisions that you make. It's going to affect the relationships that you have. It's going to affect your, uh, your emotional state, the way that you face challenges and difficulties. And you're going to look different than if you had not done it. And, and, and this isn't one of these, like, make sure you go to church every Sunday kind of things. I know there's people watching online, too, and that's, and I think that's that's fine. But let's be very, again, cautious about these kinds of things. So when I was pastoring, um, we would have people, and they would say, you know, I'd see them in the store or whatever, and they'd say, oh, yeah, hey, you know me? I go to Compass. I'm like, this is our church called Compass Church. I go, huh, I go, okay. But I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, they're like, yeah, I've been there like, for like five years. I'm going, now it wasn't like our church, I knew every last person that went to our church, because we had multiple services and stuff like that. But I'm like, I've never seen this person in my life. You know? And then I started thinking of them kind of like the Dosekis Christians. You remember the beer commercial, Dosekis? There was that guy, and he would say, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I drink Dosekis." And 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 so you could have like Dosecchi's kind of Christians, right? At Bethany. See, I don't always go to church, but when I do, I go to Bethany. <laughs> You'll have the Doseki's Christians out there. I don't, but when I do, I'm right there. Wait a second. And then they're surprised when they don't look as healthy as they could or as they should over time. And it's not because they're terrible people, it's just you haven't had the diet that's fed you over the long haul. And so so the the leader's responsibility is to make sure that you're getting this over time so you'll be built up. And what's, what's important, he talks about this inheritance. Now I want you to know, I'm a once saved, always saved guy. I believe that the caterpillar turns into the butterfly and the butterfly can't turn back into the caterpillar. I believe when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that's it. Like you are like you are changed or whatever. But I have to I have to I gotta juggle that with the tension where Peter says, make your calling and election sure. And so there's been people that I've been surprised at whom I thought, man, this person's walking with Jesus. And then it's just like Something happens and it's just, they're just wiped out. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make a judgment on them. But I do know this. I do know we have to, again, be cautious about watching our life over time. Because if you live long enough, there's some weird things that happen in your life. You know what I'm saying? And there's some weird places you can end up. And you've got to stay close and you've got to build that strong foundation. Because we got to, and, and the part of the leader's responsibility is to get you to the place where you have. You have followed Jesus over the long haul and you're ready to receive the inheritance that awaits you for all of eternity that God has prepared for you since the beginning of time. And and the leadership here takes it seriously. And so make sure and say, listen, this is gonna be a priority for our lives. We wanna build our lives here. And the leadership's responsibility is to build that foundation for you. And finally, a godly church leader does this, demonstrates genuine selflessness and sacrifice. So Paul gets to the end of his little speech here in verse 33, and he says this. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so this is one of the greatest examples of the type of leadership that we so desperately need in the church and and, and even outside the church in politics or business, whatever. We need servant leadership. And Paul's saying, look, I could have taken advantage of you guys. I didn't. I could have demanded all of this stuff that you pay me all this. I didn't do that. I took care of myself because I didn't want any of you to be able to think that i was trying to take advantage of you. And i and look at that again verse 35 i've shown you by working hard. You know? We need to see leadership ultimately as service, as giving your life away. I have one, I heard one guy say if you you got to give up to go up. And it's and it's true. There are decisions that when you get into a place of leadership, There are certain things that you could do, but you probably shouldn't because it's going to get interpreted wrong. There's certain things that you just have to be careful about because you you speak for a a larger section of people. More people are looking to you. So let me say that I think one of the unsung heroes in all of this in a lot of our churches and as I go around and see, I I see a lot of those who serve in the role of elder. And you know... (laughs) And a lot of churches that are unhealthy, and this church seemed like a healthy church, but a lot of churches that are unhealthy, man, these guys get beat up and they have jobs out in the marketplace, and they're like, there's sometimes they're putting in 20, 30 hours a week at a church. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're getting beat up by the congregation members, and they're like, they, they and, and and yet for some reason they just keep to kind of persevere. And they're servant leaders. And I only say that to you because, you know, and look at Pastor Jared, right? And you look at the leadership here. For every story that you read about on social media or you hear about in the news or whatever of some religious leader, a pastor, some church leader that falls into temptation or that says something heretical or that does something against the gospel, you go, there we go again. I'm I'm telling you, there's 50 or 100 that are getting up every day and are doing it right. They're getting up every day and they're surrendering themselves to the call of the gospel and they're giving themselves up for the people. That God has entrusted to their care. We need to support those people because it's not easy. And, and believe me, I'm not one of these guys that thinks being a pastor is the hardest job in the world. I think I think every job has parts of it that are really hard. So I'm not like, well, you got to understand, being a pastor is harder than being a CEO or being a school teacher. And no, 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 I'm not gonna. It's not about that. It's that one of the difficult aspects of being a spiritual leader is that you get spiritual attack and you get criticized all the time. And you're expected to be at a level that sometimes is unattainable. And then you get compared to, you get thrown into the same group with all these other people that have been hypocrites. Well, you probably just say this, but in real life, you're probably doing this over here. No, you know what? I know dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of men and, and, their, and women who are involved in all facets of, of serving and leading in churches who's, who's, who are not perfect individuals. But you know what? I'm proud to know them And and I would hold their life up against anybody. They're walking the walk. They're walking their talk. They're loving Jesus. And you know what they need? They need support. And when when there's a leader you see who's living out these five things, they need the benefit of the doubt. Because it's really cool right now and very easy to be cynical about leadership and to take shots from the sidelines, to be the Monday morning quarterback, to yell stuff from the stands about how the players in the field are doing it. And that's not very godly either. But it's so easy. And it's kind of like in vogue right now. People get on their high horses. Well, let me tell you, Mr. Person with Authority, I don't need to listen to you. But if there's someone who's, ac- who's actually living out these things that Paul is saying, you know what? And they're giving themselves up, I think they need our support. I think they need our encouragement. I think they need an attaboy once in a while, a pat on the back, hey, thank you. I think they need some gratitude. It's like Theodore Roosevelt said this. You guys have probably heard this, but I I decided to throw it in the sermon as well. Theodore Roosevelt, one of my favorite presidents, said this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So finally in verse 36 it says when he had finished when he had said these things he knelt down and prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of all they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship they were losing a leader they loved and there was no compulsion, there was no manipulation. It was genuine love and genuine loss. You'll see next week when you look at chapter 21, the beginning part of that, it will say when he had, when we parted from them. And that word part in other translations is when we were torn away from them. You ever had to be torn away from someone, like at the airport or something, you know? Flight's gonna leave, like, ah, I don't want to leave you but you got to go. When you see that kind of leadership, that's the kind of health and strength and joy that you get. So what do we do? Well, again, some of us need to aspire to this in our own lives. Some of us, um, you're kind of waiting for, like, your life to get right before you aspire to leadership. And I would maybe flip it the opposite way and say, Why don't you say, I need, why don't you say, I need to accept the call of God to start being someone that God, that other people can look to. And that has an amazing way of kind of cleaning up your life, you know. It did for me as a young person, especially. It wasn't, like I had, it was like one or the other. So, it was very quickly when I was young that I decided I'm gonna follow Jesus, but not just because I felt like it was the right thing to do because I really felt like God was calling me to be someone that other people could look to. I knew the right thing. I was just running away from it, right? Some of us need to aspire to it and just just make it happen, right? And stop playing games and stop sitting on the sidelines and watching. I saw this this picture. I should have put in the sermon of this meme of this guy. And I, he was wearing a football uniform with a helmet and everything else, and he was way up in the stands, and he was standing eagerly looking at the field, you know. And uh, the meme was something like, you know, when you're a musician and you're at a concert or something, like you just want to be like, put me in, put me in. And some of you might be like, put me in, coach, put me in, coach. And God's like, yeah, but come on, man. These Are, are you ready? Are you ready for what, for what I have for you? Are you ready to be this kind of person? Are you ready to give your life away? Others of us, maybe what God is doing is to say, You need to um, be praying for and looking for and affirming the kind of leadership that's described here. And when you see it, don't say silent. When you see it, say thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being someone I look to. Sometimes I even take you for granted. I think you're always going to be there. I think you're always going to do, you're always going to be that person. And I've realized that my spiritual life is where it is because of your presence in my life. And when, you, when it comes to affirming other leaders, you need to know these kinds of things. Are they, are they doing the kinds of things that Paul said he did for the Ephesian elders? You know, I have so much hope for um, the church in general. People get so cynical and they get so negative all the time. I don't see that. I see a great future. I think this is the best time in, the, in all of human history to be alive. I really do. I mean, think about it. Which, is there another time in life you'd rather live than right now? I mean, do you really want to live in 1950? There's no, there's no DoorDash, you know, there's no, there's no uh, internet, there's no, life expectancy is much shorter. Um, I'm not quite sure that's a, you know, there's the Soviet Union and nuclear, but we always long for the past to go, oh, today is so terrible. I don't know. It's got its challenges, but it's also got some great opportunities. And is there any other place in the world you'd rather live than right here, in this beautiful place that you live? Yeah, it's got problems, but seriously, why do you think so many people are trying to get in here? It's a good place. So rather than sitting here wringing our hands going, oh no, oh no, let's say, you know what, there's opportunities ahead. This could be the greatest time of all in our lives right now. Let's ready ourselves for this. Let's prepare. And, and if, if you're a leader, grab the reins and let's go. And if, if you're someone that's like, I'm a follower, but I'm gonna be a really good affirmer, then then affirm and let's go. And let's 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 let our leaders take risks a little bit. Let's let our leader, leaders try stuff. Let's let our leaders do the thing that God's called them to do and not hold them back and not make them feel guilty about stuff, you know? But let's let's release them and say, yes, you're you're going for it. You're staying on mission. I'm with you. I got your back. You can count on me. I'm getting fired up. It's time to wrap it up. These lunches will not eat themselves, right? We have to go out and eat at some point. And, uh, But I will tell you, it's been a joy to be with you today and to look at this scripture together. And I'm grateful for the possibility of your church um, joining forces with us to lock arms together in this great, wonderful mission of the gospel. Let's pray together. God, thank you for what you've done um, already in this church, for how you're stirring the men and women here. The questions we even had earlier before in the meeting before the service tell me that there is, um, there, there is a lot on the minds of the congregation about moving forward. And what does it look like to see people come to know you And to address the culture that we're in right now, there's so many people that's just like us. They just need to hear forgiveness. They just need to be reunited with their creator. They just need to find the liberating message that we've found. God, thank you that you're the ultimate example. You're the ultimate leader. You're the ultimate one that we follow because you have given yourself up for us. Been the greatest servant leader. And so we re-surrender our lives to you. And for those here today who've never placed their trust in you, I ask that perhaps you're stirring their hearts to say, if that's the kind of leader that you are, Lord Jesus, if that's the kind of savior you are, I want it. I want to follow you. I need my sins forgiven. I can't stand before a holy God in my condition. I need to know the, the forgiveness of a real Savior and rest on His righteousness, not my own. God, thank you for the power of this beautiful congregation to do so many things in the lives of the people here and or in the surrounding community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Bethany Bible Fellowship. For more resources, visit our website at bbfoc.org.